Hi, I'm Wyatt. And I'm Grace. And you're listening to Our Dad and your host of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to our live training today. Hopefully everybody can hear me okay. Um, One of the things I haven't figured out how to do is actually look at the chat while I'm doing this. And so um, I apologize about that, but we are going to, uh, we're going to get started today. We're going to talk about the long game in investing in vacation homes. We've got some questions that some of you have sent in. And so I'm excited about that as well. We're going to go through those, but uh, today let's start off by jumping in and getting inside of the training. One place I'm going to really quickly look is just to see if I can see the chat. I think I can see some of the chat, but maybe not um, if I, if they pop up. We also have our team member, my uh, my right-hand guy, Scott Marshall, is going to be in the Facebook group. So if those of you that are in the Facebook group, go ahead and answer. He's in there answering questions. If you have questions, he knows how to get, uh, get them in front of me. We'll make sure we get them answered. And so let's get started today. I'm going to share my screen so you guys can see a little bit of um, uh, a little bit of an outline of what we're going to be covering here, and uh, as we dive into the the long game of uh, vacation rental investing. So, let's get started right away. So, first of all, what we're going to cover is some of the questions you should really be asking yourself before jumping into the vacation rental game. There, there are a number of questions if you're in this for the long haul that you really should be asking yourself. We're going to go through some of those and uh, and and just really uncover what you're getting into. And then we're going to start talking about planning your attack as you get into the game and you are committed to this game. What does it look like? You know, what what road are you going to run down? How do you know what road to run down? Then we're going to talk about avoiding the pit of, uh, the pit of procrastination, if I can talk clearly today. And so we'll, we'll go through that. Then we're going to talk about a concept uh, the Navy SEALs all talk about, and that is slow is smooth, smooth is fast, and, and how that's very applicable as we're going down um, investing in something or anything that is more of a long game. And so, and then really what we can do to execute on that plan at warp speed to really, to really accelerate the progress that all of us want, right? We want to do things sooner rather than later. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So let's dive into the questions to ask yourself. The first question you really want to ask yourself is, are you in this for the long haul? You know, a lot of people experience these short bursts of excitement or curiosity around vacation rental investing, but inevitably they get stuck at the key points along the way. And if that's you, and like a lot of people is, is really, you have to understand if you're, that this is a long-term process. I know these are called short-term rentals, but these are not short-term investments. If you're not committed for the long game, you really shouldn't even consider jumping in. This is a long game. I always say vacation home investing is a process. It's not an event. And so you really have to decide, you know, why are you investing in vacation rentals instead of all your other options? You've got a lot of other options. If you're not into something for the long term and vacation rentals are definitely a long-term investment is you probably ought to look at some of your other options. You know, there's vacation rentals are a very unique asset class. And they have their pros and they have their cons. And you should be aware of what those pros and cons are as you decide way before you decide to actually invest in them. You know, unfortunately, I see all the time where people are they jump into the game without the plan. They don't ask themselves, are they in it for the long term? And all of a sudden there's some bumps in the road. There's going to they they start to realize some of those drawbacks of vacation rentals. And we'll talk about some of those today. But there are going to be drawbacks. And so if you're in it for the long term and you've got some staying power and you've got some grit, you're going to get past them. You're going to be just fine. This is a really fun asset class to own. But that doesn't mean everything's everything's unicorns and rainbows all the time. Right. And so you want to you want to understand what those pros and cons are and 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 
how they fit into your lifestyle, how they fit into your plan of why you're investing in anything. And maybe there's a better investment class. Maybe there's not. Maybe this fits perfectly. But really understanding it is critical. And so the next we're going to talk about or the question you really should be asking yourself is, what is your experience level? You know, as you dive into this, how experienced are you? You may be a really you might be in the real estate game for a long time. Do you have experience in a new asset class? Because vacation rentals are even though a lot of vacation rentals are single family homes, their their end use is something different than a lot of people are used to. And so you have to be you have to be realistic with yourself and honest with yourself of really auditing what your experience level really looks like and what you need to do to fill the gaps if you do have some gaps. And, and that's where really we're talking about today is really kind of understanding that. What is your buying power? You know, I've had a couple of questions um, come in about money available. What is your buying power right now? Is it going to increase? Is it going to decrease? You know, what does it look like? Are, are you willing to cut out certain things to be able to increase your buying power? You know, sometimes we have to be a little more disciplined with some of the things we're spending money on or, or the things that we're doing if we really want to build up that build up that down payment or build up for that next acquisition. Markets are really hot right now. It does take some money to get into this game. It's unfortunately not, not an easy game to play with no money down. And I get that question all the time. So what is your buying power? If you don't have much of a buying power, it might not be the right asset class. But those are some questions we should be asking ourselves right in the very beginning, way before diving in. And then finally, what resources are you using to level up your game? Do you have what, you know, are you, do you have online forums that you're going to? You're joining our Facebook group and going to some of these trainings. That's a resource, right? There's what other resources are you doing to really level up your game and start to fill in those gaps of knowledge before you dive into the game and, and start to start to decide if vacation rental investing is the right fit for you. And that's a, a lot of why we're here, right? I'm not here to talk anybody into getting into the vacation rental game. I love this asset class. I can talk about it all day long, every day. Doesn't mean it's right for everybody. What I want people to do is decide, is this the right asset class for them? And if it is, to start to ask themselves some of those things that they don't know, right? Well, a lot of times when we get into something new, we don't know what we don't know. And, and that's what I really hope to do with a lot of these trainings and some of the other things that we're doing, uh, you know, to, to provide resources to people. Obviously, we've got a, a paid mastermind group and a coaching program where we dive in even deeper into those to fill those gaps of, of knowledge and to really level up your game. And so, so as we, after you start asking yourself those questions, you know, really the most important ones are you in it for the long haul. Where are you starting from? What are your resources? What are you doing to learn more about it? And are you willing to have that staying power and that grit to really to really see it through? So if the answer to those is is favorable of yes, I, I want to do this and I'm willing to put in the work, I'm willing to, to gain the knowledge it takes to succeed in this game, and I am looking for a long-term investment then we have to start talking about planning our attack. What does that look like? You know, there's this myth of there's a straight line to success from point A to point B. It's never a straight line. You never say, okay, my, my current situation to my desired situation, it's never a straight line. There's going to be different points and milestones along the way, and it's going to be, you know, all over the place. And really, even, even with a great plan of attack, we want a, the, a good roadmap or blueprint to follow and giving you a really good plan of attack, that keeps you as close as possible to the straight line, right? That really accelerates your progress. And, and that's what we have to understand is 
It's never a straight line attack. A lot of people say, hey, I want to buy a vacation home. I've got money. I'm going to go buy something. But they forget about a lot of the things in the middle. And they forget about some of these things that they have to do. And what happens is you can get really far off of that straight line. And so we have to we have to understand it's not a straight line. Our goal is to keep it as close to the straight line as possible. You know, when a plane flies anywhere, they say that it's off course almost the whole time. It's constantly course correcting. If they've got the straight line or the path that they're following and it gets a little bit off and the, the autopilot brings it back and it overcorrects and it corrects back. And so they, they try to keep it close to that straight line, but it's almost always correcting. And that's how, that's our goal when we run down the road is to correct faster than, you know, do those constant auto corrections rather than getting way far off of that straight line. But we have to know what that looks like, right? Most people understand where they're at, where they want to go, but they really struggle to fill in those milestones along the way. Because a lot of times, like, like we said, you don't know what you don't know right now. And, and so those milestones aren't even something you're thinking about. And so it's really important in the beginning to do that. You know, and ask yourself, do you have a roadmap? Do you have a blueprint to follow? And, and I use the example of a contractor. Can you imagine a contractor going to build a home without a blueprint to follow? I mean, if, if they, they talk to the homeowner, they draw out their dream home, the architect gives them this, this picture of what they're going to build. The, the contractor might have built hundreds of homes. But if he doesn't have a detailed blueprint to follow, even as skilled as he is and as many homes as he's built, if he has a blueprint to follow, he's going to get there a lot faster. Even a very skilled contractor might have to figure out every step along the way. It's going to be a lot slower without a blueprint to follow. If not, with if you're not very skilled, it's going to be almost impossible. You're just going to start spinning your wheels. It's like, okay, I know where I'm at. I know what I want to build, but I don't quite know. I don't have the plan here. You know, if I don't have a plan, it's going to be really difficult to get that end result. Same type of a thing. What about going on a trip? If, if I live in California, I say, hey, I want to drive to New York. And, and I just need to head east. That's with, without a map, you'll never get to New York. How many roads and freeways and stops along the way you have to go through to get to New York from California? It's, it, you have to have a roadmap or you'll never get there. Right now, we a lot of us have GPS and it gets us there a little faster, but it's still that map. That's what we have to have that plan to follow. And vacation home investing is no different. You really should have a plan laid out in the beginning before you get into it. Right. And start to understand how you're going to get there and, and what happens and in, in how we avoid that pit of procrastination that I talk about is there's a little graphic um, for those of you that can see it. And those of you that can't, I want you to visualize where you're at today. And then, and then think about where you want to get. What does the vision look like? Man, that, maybe that's one home. Maybe that's two homes. Maybe that's three homes. Whatever your vision of your vacation rental portfolio looks like. You've got where you're at today, and you've got this idea and this vision. And your vision is down the line. In between that, that idea and the vision is a pit, right? Imagine this gap that you have to fill. And, this, and there's a pit there. And as you go down and, and walk toward your vision and start to start to move towards your dreams, this happens with everything, not just vacation home investing. We inevitably start to ask questions of how are we going to get there? How are we going to do this? Well, guess what? The how sometimes is really complicated. Sometimes we don't know the how. And so we start to ask questions of how, and we start to get answers uh, when we start to look into the how, and we start to realize, man, this is pretty complicated. This is pretty hard to do. And so inevitably, we start to slide down into that pit. And as we ask more how questions, we get more and more frustrated. We get more and more, we feel like there's more and more roadblocks because we're trying to figure this all out on our own. 
And so ultimately, that's why I call that the pit of procrastination, because ultimately you're going to throw in the towel and you're going to say, hey, this is a little harder than I thought. This is a little bit more, more work than I thought it was going to be. I think I'm just going to go back to what I was doing. And so people end up putting it off what they say they want to do. And, and that's building and, and moving toward their vision. An easier way to do it is as you start to move toward your vision and toward your dreams and toward your goals, start to ask yourself, who can help me get there? You know, there's there's milestones and steps along the way. And you ask yourself, who can help me get to that next step? Is it, you know, in vacation home investing? There's there's dream team partners. You're gonna have a realtor, you're gonna have a finance partner, you're gonna work with management companies, you're gonna, you're gonna understand like myself, I'll help you with that process. There's people you can ask questions along the way to say, okay, I'm at this step. I'm at step one. What does step two look like? There are people who know what step two looks like and can help you get to step two. If you ask somebody how to get to step 10, that's a little more difficult because you didn't go step two, three, four. This is a process. As you're going down any road, start to ask who can help you. Think about the contractor we talked about earlier. And if a contractor, so you start to ask that who, those who questions, you start to say, Okay, those those questions start to get asked, and then also you start uh, start to build a bridge across that gap, and you avoid that pit of procrastination. So if I'm if I'm a contractor and I hire a general contractor to build me a home, that general contractor doesn't typically build the home. He knows how to build the home, but he's got electricians and engineers and plumbers and roofers and you know flooring people, all, all these different people that he's, he knows who to plug in to each step along the way. And he knows exactly what steps to take. Okay, at first I need the engineer and the architect. Then I'm going to get the foundation person. Then I'm going to get the framer. Then I'm going to get the electrician and the plumber in there. Then I'm going to put the roof on it, right? So you're he's going to plug in those gaps with who along the way. And it makes it a lot easier for that general contractor to get from talking to me as the as the end buyer of this home and builder, I want to build a home, I call the contractor because the contractor knows who to plug into all those gaps. And ultimately, I get to my vision of a brand new home. Think of me maybe like as your contractor, your general contractor in the vacation rental game. I'm, I don't write your loans. I'm not going to find the houses for you realtor-wise, but I'm going to show you how to underwrite deals. I know what software tools we use and how to connect you with the right lenders, all of those different things. And so you want to find somebody as kind of the general contractor of who of whatever you're running down. That's usually a mentor or somebody that's been there before. There's a lot of people giving advice online. My only And, and there's a lot of great information online. My only... Uh, 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 hesitation to that or a, a, a little warning to that is to say, just make sure that the people you're listening to have have been where you want to go. You know, if I'm, I'm hiring a general contractor, I'm hiring one that has already built some houses. I want to hire somebody that has a house built. And same as when you're getting advice on anything. If I'm going to go run a marathon, I'm not going to talk to somebody that's never run a marathon. I'm going to talk to somebody that's run a marathon and figure out the steps along the way. And so that's the concept of who, not how, and how you really avoid that pit of procrastination. And so then you want to really start with your step-by-step -step plan. And, and this is, kind of, I want to give you an introduction to what a step-by-step -step plan looks like, at least in my view of the world, right? My view of the world is step one is you're planning everything out. Step two is you're understanding what you're getting into, right? Those should be the first two steps that we talked about before. 
plan out the road ahead, plan where you want to go. Where am I at today? Where do I want to go? Understand what you're getting into. Understand what vacation rental ownership looks like, the pros and the cons of it. Next, you're going to move on and you're going to say, okay, I'm going to locate the property. I'm going to select my location. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go through. There's a lot of prop. There's a lot of steps in each one of these these steps. They've got they've got sub steps right along the way. Then after I select my location, I'm gonna build my dream team. I'm gonna find my partners. The next step is the acquisition phase. That's when I really start making offers and underwriting deals and analyzing deals. Next, I buy the property. Now I need to set up the property. What are the steps in that setup phase? that I need to that pay attention to. That's when we're going to deliver the unique experience and curate that fairy tale. Then we've got to figure out how to market the property, right? We're now we're going to take it to the world and market it and see what kind of feedback we get. Step eight is refine. We're going to refine the things. We're going to do more of what's working and refine some of the things that we didn't, that fell flat or weren't working very well. And then finally, when everything's working well, and we've made those revisions. Now we're going to maximize the asset. That's our nine step process. And so, and we've put that together. If you don't have a copy of my book, that whole plan is laid out. This, the, the, the copy of the book, what the hell is a lifestyle asset? So go get a copy of the book. And that lays out your nine steps. And then some of the sub steps yeah, each one of those uh, those nine steps and those nine steps take you through the acquisition phase, the setup and management phase, and ultimately the marketing phase. And so the point of that is, is now it's time to figure out what the plan looks like. If I'm in it for the long haul, I need to know what the roadmap looks like. I need to know what that blueprint looks like to get to my end goal. And the number one most important thing when you're going down any road is focus on the task at hand. If you're in the very beginning stages and you're in step one in the plan and understand phase, don't be trying to figure out the marketing phase, right? Don't jump forward and try to figure out how to analyze the property. You're not there yet. Figure out, and you know what the overall roadmap looks like, but if I'm driving from California to New York, you know, I'm in, and I know, I, okay, I, I mapped it out. I kind of know their area I'm going. I look, look where I'm going. But if I'm crossing the Sierra Nevadas, I'm not worried about what's going on in Nebraska on I 80, right? I'm worried about the task at hand right now, the snowstorm across the mountains that I'm going through, right? I, I'm going to focus on the task at hand, even though I know I've got the whole, pro, the whole, the whole way to go and to make it to New York. Same is true with this process. If you're in the very beginning stages, if you're working with your lenders and you're figuring out your buying power and figuring out what you can do, don't worry about going down and how you're going to set up the property, how you're going to furnish the property. You're not there yet. So just focus on the task at hand and that's going to help you get there a lot faster. And then finally, this concept of what I want to talk about is slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And this is one of my favorite phrases. Uh, it's, a, it's from the U.S. Navy SEALs. And it's a reminder that the best way to move fast in any sort of setting, in any professional setting, anything you're doing is to take your time, slow down, follow the plan and do it right, right? Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. It's understanding the plan. It's focusing on the task at hand and that allows us to move really fast. And it's a great saying the, the Navy SEALs obviously operate in some of the most in the in some of the most stressful situations in some of the you know they have to be so precise at what they're doing and they always say slow is smooth smooth is fast because they understand exactly they focus on the task at hand and it allows them to move at a really quick pace you know many of our Vodacy members are able to move very quickly with their vacation home investing some you know sometimes we talk about case studies and success stories and everything else they're able to have that really quick success 
is because they knew what they wanted. They developed a plan to get there. They partnered with the right people to help them. And then finally, they executed one step at a time. Even though it's a long-term process, even though there's nine steps, if you're focusing on the task at hand, you can go from step one to two to three pretty dang fast, a lot faster, because I also talk to people on the other end of that spectrum that say, you know, in fact, I, it, we're talking about the very first of the year, right? We're, we're, we're recording this in the beginning of the year. A lot of people have New Year's resolutions. They want to have buy a vacation home by the end of the year or by, by the summertime or whenever that, whenever that timeline is. Inevitably, last year, there were some people that we talked to that exact, had the exact same goals, but they didn't put the plan in place. They didn't put follow a step-by-step -step plan and say and focus on step one to two to three. And inevitably, all they're doing is still talking about the end result. They knew what they wanted. They, you know, they have they know where they're at, they know what they want, but they didn't focus on any steps to get there. And that that's an overwhelming jump, right? Like running a marathon is really similar. You don't just go run 26 miles, right? You, you, there's very few people that could just, I don't know any that personally that can go run 26 miles. There's certain steps you're going to take along the way. You're going to have to do some training. You're going to have to understand what you're getting into. And even marathon runners, when you, when I, I've never run a marathon, so I'm not an expert on marathon running. I thought I'd use this as an example, but I, I talked to people who have run marathons and they say they don't focus on, hey, I need to, I need to run 26 miles. They focus on, okay, I'm going to run one mile. Then I'm going to, then what's the next milestone or, you know, what it's going to be mile two, maybe that's mile three, right? They have, they have steps along the way that they're focused on and they focus on when they're on mile three, they're not focused on mile 23. They're focused on mile four and they get to mile four. Now they focus on mile five and before they know it, they've got their 26 miles done, but it, it took some planning and training and, and the whole, that, that running a marathon is not easy for any of them, right? They, they get done and they're exhausted. And sometimes it, when we run, when we decide we're going to do something new, it can feel like a marathon, right? These markets right now, these real estate markets are white hot. I tell people, especially during that acquisition phase, you're going to feel like you ran a marathon. You're going to feel like you came out of a 12 round heavyweight match. That's why I say, if you're not committed to the long haul, you're going to give up right out of the gate because you're going to probably compete with multiple people on almost every house that you buy. Or, or that you put an offer on. And ultimately you might lose out on two or three or six. You know, we have some members that didn't find a house until they made seven or eight offers before they find the right, found the right house. And so it is, it is the long haul. And if you don't know that, okay, I'm in this stage, I'm at this step. I just need to focus on this step. If you're, if you're worried about the whole picture, it will be overwhelming. You'll throw your hands in the air and you're not going to do it. And so anything that's a long-term process, you want to break it into small manageable pieces. And that's what we're talking about here. And then finally, you want to execute your plan at warp speed. That's how you, that's how you execute at warp speed is by taking massive action on one part of the process. On, on those bite-sized pieces and you just take massive action to get that done. Then I'm going to focus all my energy and effort on step two and then all my energy and effort on step three. That's how we do it. So again, if you're looking for a plan to follow, I laid out that nine steps that we follow to get you from point A to point B and really get you through the acquisition phase, the setup and management phase and the marketing phase in our book, What the Hell is a Lifestyle Asset? So you're, you're not on your own, right? You've got, you've got a blueprint and a roadmap that you can, you can be at least introduced to. And the book is a great outline of what that plan looks like. Now, are, is every detail in there? No, I, I couldn't have written a book that had every detail in there, but it's going to give you a really good idea of what that blueprint and roadmap looks like. 
And so I, I hope that's helpful, guys. I hope that's uh, something that is valuable to you guys. I'm going to stop my screen share. I do have a couple of questions. So let me uh, let me stop the screen share here and then I'm going to pull up my email um, and then see if we've got some uh, see if we've got some questions here. So give me give me two seconds here, hopefully. OK, so um, Kim sent me in a, a message. And this is, I thought was a great question and very applicable to kind of what we're talking about. So Kim said, what about city imposed short-term rental restrictions? Do you just avoid those areas for short-term rentals? I'm in contract on a property that was marketed as a short-term rental potential, but upon digging in, I found that they are prohibited with a $1,500 a day fine, pretty steep fine, right? Another area that I was looking at at the same time, um, another area I was looking at is, is exactly the same, long game, couldn't the city potentially enact a short-term rental ban on a property you had and thus affect your income on that property? How do you protect yourself against it? Well, first, Kim, it's, it, it's a great question. The, the first thing I would say to that is during that planning stage and when you, you, you're going to plan out what you want, let's say you selected city A and, when, and this is the location we chose. As we start to go through that partner section of that um, acquisition phase, the very next steps in there are going to be to look at what rules and regulations are in place. Because this is a very mainstream asset class at this stage. And 10 years ago, there were very few restrictions on short-term rentals because short-term rentals really weren't classified as its own asset class. Now it is. And so there are many cities, there are many areas that have restrictions on short-term rentals. Most of the, the citywide restrictions are typically in some of the urban areas because of the, the housing shortages. And just because something is marketed as short-term rental, you can't trust that like the listing agent or somebody else is going to give you accurate inf information. We definitely do avoid those areas that don't allow it. Now, there are some areas that are very restrictive to specific areas and property types that you're allowed to short-term rent. There are some areas that are very short-term rental friendly. When we're in our location section, that's those are the things we're looking at. Is this a short-term rental friendly area or is it not? Now, and so you want to identify that first. And because if you get to the stage of going under contract and locking a property up because you thought you could do it, that's just a matter of you didn't you didn't check that box before you went under contract. You want to check those boxes. And yes, you do want to avoid those areas. There, there are areas that this can be very difficult to do short-term rentals in. Now, that being said, there are areas I hear of people say all the time, oh, you can't go, you can't do it in area B because. It, they've got all kinds of restrictions. I have properties in areas that have very strict restrictions, but I understand the rules. When I'm in that locate section, I'm looking at exactly what the rules are and how I can either fit in them or not fit in them. Another way to not do your research is looking on Airbnb or VRBO. I have a lot of people that tell me, well, you know, I live outside of Salt Lake City, Utah. I live up in the mountains in Salt Lake by the ski resort areas, but Salt Lake City does not allow short-term rentals. But if you go on Airbnb, there's a whole bunch of short-term rentals on Airbnb. That doesn't mean they're operating legally. Airbnb doesn't police it, but those people could, they might get away with it for a long time. They might get shut down tomorrow. In your case, like there's $1,500 a day fines for short-term rentals that are violating the, the rule. Well, you might get away with it. You might not. That's a pretty steep fine. I'm not taking the chance there, right? So I'm looking for areas that allow short-term rentals. So yes, we do avoid those areas. Now, to your question of can it change on you? 
it's it's unlikely to change if it was allowed. So if short-term rentals are allowed in an area, if they change it and say, now we're not going to allow it, what they typically will do is they will grandfather in those people that are operating legally. They're not going to grandfather you in if you didn't have a license and a permit to do it. If it's an area that is a gray area, right? So I look for areas that have a yes or a no, right? So a no means I avoid them. A yes means I feel comfortable. I can get my permits. I can get my licensing and I can operate legally. The gray area, there's fewer and fewer gray areas anymore where they haven't addressed it on a yes or a no. Those are still very risky areas because yes, you could buy something in there and it might, when it does get addressed, because it probably will if they if the, if the um, short-term rentals become more and more popular, because most municipalities want to, even if they're going to allow them, they want to address the issue because they want to, they're going to put some licensing and permitting in place and they collect money from short-term rentals, right? So it's in their best interest to address it. Most areas are starting to address it. So I'm looking for a yes or a no. And the gray areas, yeah, that's risky. You want to avoid the gray areas as well, unless you want to roll the dice and see what happens. I typically look for areas that have a yes, that I can get licensed, I can get permits, because then that, that protects my long game. And so great question there. And, uh, and I appreciate that, Kim. Um, that, was a, that was a good question. I think it's really applicable to everybody and really applicable to what we're talking about, not only about the long game, but to my point of really understanding the process, right? There's a point in that process, like we say, we don't know what we don't know sometimes. And sometimes we jump in the deep end and we don't quite know how to swim as fast as we might need to swim. And so that's one of those, that's one of those boxes that wasn't quite checked off uh, before you went under contract. You really wanna look at the area before you start to invest. And that's why it's it's the third step in my process. My third step is locate. We do plan our plan our, um, our goals out, understand what we're getting into. The very next step is locate because we don't wanna spend a lot of time and effort if, we're, if we choose a location that we can't do this in. So great question. Um, let me pull up my email here. And I've got, I know we had one more question come in. Um, Let's see. Um, and I thought this was a good one. This will be a fun one for everybody to, to chime in on is um, here's a question from Christian. Um, when should we um, when should we sell and when should we hold on to our new investment? It's about also when selling um, is your valuation based on the rental income or the neighborhood comps? That's first a great question. Um, I'm going to go to that one first. The second question first. Some areas will, if you're getting an, if your buyer is getting an asset-based loan and um, which is the, the property is going to be valued by the income that it generates. And some, some areas you can sell it basically as an asset. And, and, but it's going to be difficult for people to get an appraisal unless they're getting that type of, an, of a loan. So you have to keep both in mind. We actually look at both scenarios. And so we end up doing what we end up doing in, in those scenarios is we're going to look at what the neighborhood comps are. Definitely have to look at that because these are single family residents and most people are going to need to get an appraisal on the property. And so that's, that's all that the appraisal is going to really look at. Now, at the same time is a lot of these people are, if we're going to sell it as a short-term rental, we're selling a business and there is value in a property that's producing at a high level. And so you can really, you really have that ability to up that amount. Now, the, the drawback of that is, is people, a lot of people, especially in these markets will pay that, that additional income based on the, the income that or the valuation based on the rental income. 
but they're going to have to come up with that cash typically between the gap of what it appraises for and what they're valuing it as an as an actual um, income producing asset. So yes, you can look at both of them. You just might you might shrink your buyer pool a little bit because because the buyers that are going to be paying you more based on the income producing. Um, um, capabilities of the property, they're going to have to cover an appraisal gap. And so, um, but you, you can do both. And, and we, we try to do both. In fact, we buy properties sometimes and I'm willing to pay more for properties when they're already producing and doing a really good job. Second is when should you sell, when should you hold on to it? So this comes down to Christian, what are your property goals? So it, 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 there's not a right or wrong answer. What I always tell people is, why did you buy the property? What are the goals? And what are you going to do with the money when you sell the property? And so you you're, you have an example here, which is um, you have a really good property, it looks like. We bought our cabin at $149,000 in mid-2020. It grossed $50,000 last year and will likely do a little more in 2022. I'm debating selling it at around $300,000, which is where the comps are at. Also wondering if I should just hold on to it. So I'm going to impact that a little bit for those people that aren't used to what kind of income properties typically produce. So typically, you guys, a property's break-even dollar amount is about 10% of the acquisition. So in Christian's case, he bought the property at $149,000. His break-even point is probably about sixteen dollars to $18,000 a year. Anything beyond that, he's making money. Well, he grossed $50,000 last year, probably going to do a little bit better than that this year. So this is a very profitable property. Very, I mean, you're getting you're getting crazy returns. This is this is one of those home run properties that we that we see as far as the return on investment. So the other on the flip side of that, the market's been hot and he's doubled his money. Bought it for 149, could sell it for around three hundred thousand dollars. So he could double his money, put one hundred forty nine thousand dollars in his pocket. So what does he want to do? So Christian, it really comes down to what your property goals are. Are you hoping to take that $150,000 and is it going to go into another long-term investment? And if it is, I would challenge you to look at what you're going to put it into because those returns you're getting on this property, as far as just a, a percentage of a return on investment are very, very good. And they will be very hard to beat. And so um, I've seen thousands of deals and very few $150,000 properties are grossing $50,000 because you're putting, I mean, that's a, I mean, you're getting, you're putting about a 25 to 35% cash on cash return net after, after all your expenses. I mean, you're probably even a little bit higher than that, just running up the numbers off the top of my head. And so it depends on what you're going to do. Again, property, what, what are your, we have one of our members that just asked the same question. I actually did it on my Instagram page. I said, what would you do? Same thing. Bought the property, $750,000. Property grosses about two twenty, dollars and he nets almost $100,000 a year on the property, but he has an offer for $1.3 million. And so, you know, he's, he's essentially doubled his money could put $750,000 in his pocket, or he puts 150 or about $100,000 in his pocket every single year passively. And so what would he, what does he want to do? He's already, he only put $150,000 down on the property. So he's got all of his money back. This is just an asset that puts $100,000 in his pocket every single year. He asked the same question, what should I do? And it's just a matter of what are you going to do with the money? Are you going to, do you have something you want to do with that $150,000 or did you buy it for the long term and to, to have an, an asset that gives you that passive income? I posted on our Instagram account 
And most people um, answered and said they keep it. And that is what I would do, but that's the, the that's why I buy these types of assets. And so um, I also don't mind upgrading my assets. There's times where I will say, hey, I want to sell this property. I'm going to put it into another one and hopefully be able to, and it's still going to be a long-term producing asset. And so those are all really good questions. And, and uh, those are good problems to have, Christian. So congratulations on having such a great property. That's awesome. As always, I appreciate you joining us live. If you're listening to this on a recording or if you're listening to this and we're also going to record this, put it on our YouTube channel as a training. You can also post questions in there. Thanks, as always, for being a part of our world and joining us. And um, hopefully you're getting value out of this. If you know somebody else that would get value, invite them to join our groups. This is all free trainings for those of you that are that are in our um, in our world. And so we're hoping to bring that value. And I always say, as always, you guys go do one thing. Pick one thing you can do today to go start living that life that you don't want to take a vacation from. Cheers, my friends. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. Share this with other people you think need to hear about it. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Hey, Grace, is there a website? Yes! For more amazing content and expert advice, visit bodicey.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.